Would you pray with me to Jesus? Only Jesus. God, thank you for the privilege of being your family, of being here together, of getting to sing to you that you're worth more than anything else and everything else we encounter. We sing it because it's true. We sing it because we forget it. We sing it because it pleases you. And so, God, I pray for every single one of us this morning who is here gathered together as part of this assembly, who is uh, joining us remotely by live stream. God, we pray that you would make yourself great in our hearts and our minds now. God, in the midst of this crazy season where so many other things crowd us, God, we invite your blessing. We invite the blessing of you making yourself much larger in our hearts and our minds than all of the other stuff. God, as we even look forward to golf tournaments in June, a chance to get outdoors and connect, a chance to serve, a chance to raise money for a ministry in our community that helps us as churches meet the needs of people, we're thankful, God, for the work that is being done. We're thankful for the physical and material resources that are given to people in financial need. We're thankful for the classes that are taught even here on our own campus right now to help people figure out uh, where they need to go in life and, and to set goals and to take responsibility for their lives. God, these are blessings and graces. I thank you for the people that are involved. I pray you would involve more of us as a church in connecting together and in reaching out in these simple ways. But God, we do all of this because you are greater than anything. Show yourself to us now as a church. We pray for our good and your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This has been um, quite a year, hasn't it? Anybody notice anything unusual? Um, read some things or hear about some things happening, people doing stuff they wouldn't normally do if it wasn't uh, a pandemic. That's definitely happened in my case. I've noticed several things that are unusual. Maybe, maybe one of the most interesting stories I ran across was actually just about a month ago. It's fairly recent. I read an article about um, two people, a man and a woman, who went away for a vacation in Turkey. They're Americans. They went away for a vacation in Turkey um, late last year, and they traveled for a week together, and they didn't know each other. That's not a joke. Like, this is actually serious. This happened. So as the story went, apparently um, Turkey was, at this point in late 2020, like one of the only nations allowing U.S. travelers. And so this guy, a single guy, had a trip planned with a friend, and they were going to go somewhere else, and it got canceled. And so he's looking around. He's like, I want to travel somewhere. I want to go to Turkey. And then the friend didn't want to go or couldn't or whatever. So suddenly he's like, well, I want to travel. So he books this trip. But then he's like, well, I don't want to travel alone. So he goes on to some like travel, I don't know, discussion board or website or something. And he posts, hey, like, I'm going to Turkey. Anybody want to come? And people responded. And one of the people that responded was another gal who frequented this, this discussion board, uh, another single lady, didn't know this guy at all. They lived in different parts of the country. Um, they started emailing. They got on video chat. They started to get to know each other. They decided each other weren't creepers or whatever. And so he already had the itinerary booked. So she's like, great. So she booked a seat on the same flight and a rooms in the same hotel and whatever. And they met for the first time in the airport they each flew from their home city to a common launch point, met each other, sat on a plane, went to Turkey, and spent a week together in Turkey. This really happened. Um, strictly platonic relationship, uh, but according to them, after the fact, um, they had a great time and even said uh, they would probably travel together to other places in the future. They might consider becoming traveling buddies, but not like romantically interested at all. All right, I mean... Definitely an unusual situation, probably not what I would like recommend for my daughter to do or whatever, but, you know, 
crazy things happen and people start functioning uh, a little differently than we might normally. But you know, regardless of what we think about that decision or the wisdom of it, I definitely tell you, I can set that aside. It illustrates one thing for sure. It illustrates how two strangers who otherwise would have never met, nor would they have had any interest in one another if they did happen to cross paths at some point, could nonetheless become friends over a shared interest. You can develop friendships with people over shared interest and common experiences. Friendship is important. Friendship is something we long for. Friendship is central to the Christian experience. It is also central to marriage, according to the Bible. And so for these five Sundays, we're in the third of five Sundays, where we as a church are looking at the subject of marriage from the pages of Scripture. It's been a rough year in all of us and all of our relationships, including home relationships. So we're looking to, to, to God's word for some guidance and support for marriages. Now we've been saying every week that this is a series of messages for everyone, not just for married people. Um, at least for two reasons. Theologically, marriage is something significant to anybody who follows God, whether we're married or not. Right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, God says to his people, let marriage be held in honor by all of my people, whether or not they're married. So that tells us right away that like marriage is something super important to God. It's something much bigger than just the relationship between two people who happen to be married. And that bigger thing is important to God. It should be important to all of us. So it's important sort of theologically, but it's also important very practically. Because um, while marriage is the focus of these five sermons, the things that we're seeing every week in Scripture, including what we're going to see today, have many applications to all sorts of other relationships in our lives, our friends, our other family members. And so whether or not we are married or, or not this morning, there is a lot here for each one of us. And we'll see that again today. Each week what I'm doing is taking a brief time to kind of land on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. That's our main text of scripture for these five Sundays. And this is a little bit different than how we approach things normally at Harvest. Rather than starting at the top of that passage and sort of systematically working our way through it, which would be our normal practice, uh, because of the way that passage is put together and the way that this topic works, what we're doing each week is we're hitting a different part of that passage and looking at a different facet of marriage and then springboarding into some other passages of scripture that inform the same thing. And after we've done that, I'm inviting people up each week to join me for a few minutes at the end of the time to just talk and have a conversation about how some of the things that we've talked about have played out in our own lives. And so we're going to do that again this morning, uh, a little bit later in the service. My wife Amy is going to join me along with some friends, Dana and Julie. We will be up here talking about how friendship has impacted our own marriage. Here's where we're going today. What we're going to see is that, that a marriage will thrive for a lifetime when a husband and a wife are together on the journey of becoming like Christ. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Together on the Journey. A marriage will thrive for a lifetime when a husband and a wife are together on the journey of becoming like Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, the Bible says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is God's word for us. And Lord, I pray now that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous and beautiful things in your word. 
for our good, for your glory, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Friendship. Friendship must be about something. Even that story we told earlier illustrates that fact. Uh, Friendship must be about something. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He's, He's quoted by Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. By the way, we have copies of this available out at our Harvest book table. I mentioned last week we had some on order. They have arrived, so if you're interested in getting a copy of this, you can pick it up this morning or you can go out and order your own version or your e reader version on your own. But if you're interested in marriage or married, highly recommend this book. At one point, Keller quotes C.S. Lewis from his book, The Four Loves, saying, Friendship arises when two or more people discover that they have in common some insight or interest. As uh, Emerson said, quoting Ralph Waldo Emerson, Lewis says, Do you love me means do you see the same truth, or at least do you care about the same truth? Interesting. Interesting. A man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is actually of great importance. That man can be our friend. This is why those people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. We're on a journey together with people. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, is, I don't care about the truth, I only want you to be my friend, no real friendship can arise. Lewis says friendship must be about something, even if it's only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) He's making the argument that that for friendship to take place, it has to be about something. You know, pearls in a a clam or an oyster, they form um, around something, right? There's there's an irritant. uh, There's a grain of sand or something, and the pearl forms around it. Of course, the cool thing is that a relatively small speck can become the core or the launching point or the basis for a pearl that is many, many times the size of the speck. But there has to be a starting point. And in the same way, Lewis is arguing that a deep and rich and meaningful friendship can be experienced, but it doesn't just sort of come out of nowhere. They have to form around something. I think this is one of the things that, uh, for Amy and I, as we look back on our relationship, has benefited us because we were actually really good friends for three or four years before we were ever romantically interested in one another. Um, I thought she was too opinionated and she thought I was too immature. So... And we've looked back over the years and said, yep, we were both right, you know, that's, that's kind of where it's at. But nonetheless, we actually saw in one another something that made us close friends, even though like we were actually dating other people at the time. I think we, we saw the world the same way. And that led to kind of the sense of like, hey, we really understand each other. And so even though we weren't romantically interested, we enjoyed being with each other. We enjoyed talking about real stuff. We enjoyed talking about pursuing God and living a life that matters because not all of our friends wanted to talk at that level, and we did. And as we look back, I think once we finally decided there may be something here more than just a friendship and we began dating and eventually got engaged and married, that turned out to be a good way to start. So friendship has to be about something. And if that's true... Christian friendship is about the something. It's about the something. It's about the calling that Christ has put on every Christian's life to follow him, to become more like him, and to help others do the same. 
the call to be disciples in the language of Jesus, to be my followers, to love me, to become like me, and to make my word known by how you speak it and how you live it. That's the journey that God has everybody on who is his follower. And if that journey is the basis of a friendship, then you have a Christian friendship. The language of the New Testament is all about being together on that journey. Just consider a few of these um, for some of us, well-known one another passages of Scripture. Multiple commands throughout the New Testament that say, hey, if you're a Christian, do this to one another. Do this with other Christians, particularly those in your local church that you're in covenant relationship to walk this journey with. Christians, do this with one another. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, "Um, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. You see, there's the language of a journey. God is going to bring my life to an end at some point. He's going to bring history to an end at some point. And that's the journey we're all on. And it's hard to stay on that road. And so be on that road together with other Christians. That's why we gather and assemble to encourage one another. That's not a journey any of us is intended to walk alone. Similarly, Hebrews chapter 3 says to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, that's the other side of the same coin. Encourage one another. It's like, hey, fellow travelers, stay on the road. Keep going. I'm with you. I'm cheering you on. I'm walking it with you. To exhort one another is to say, hey, here's where sin and temptation is pulling you off of the road of following Christ. And I see it happening and I love you enough to call you out on it. Not because I'm condemning you, but because I'm getting you back on track. This is the journey we're on together. This is the journey you want to be on. I need people doing that in my life, so do you. The Bible says, exhort one another to that. James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed. That friends actually confess sins to one another. And here's where I'm sinning. Right now, I've confessed that to God. I need to tell you as well for your accountability, for your encouragement, ultimately for your prayer, would you pray for me that that this sin would not drag me away from my first love, which is Jesus. I want to follow him. Absolutely, I'm there with you in prayer on the journey. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Nobody is to walk this long journey of faithfulness to God alone. It's tiring. And so when, when legs get weak, so to speak, and arms get tired, we hold one another up so that we can keep going. We're on the journey. And speaking of the law of Christ, what is the law of Christ? Jesus said it himself, John chapter 13, verse 34. When he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you. Here's the law. Here's the commandment. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, he tells them, you love one another. This is to be normal for every Christian. You see, in all of that, and in so many other passages of the Bible that we could quote here, you hear the language of walking the road of following Christ together with other Christians. Christianity is a team sport. It really is. One another is the language of being together on the journey, specifically the journey of following Christ. That's what Christian friendship is at its core. Which is interesting, by the way, because that means it's, it's possible to have friend, uh, friendship with another Christian as a Christian that's like not necessarily a Christian friendship. You know what I mean? 
Like it, it, it's not a guarantee that any two people who become friends and happen to be Christians are experiencing a distinctively Christian friendship. Um, two followers of Jesus can discover a mutual interest in home decorating or scrapbooking or fly fishing or golf or the Chicago Cubs, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, that's for you, Mark. Um, I think there are other people out there that like the Chicago Cubs. That's what I've heard, right? You find these mutual interests and, and you can form a friendship around it. And that's great. That's a lot of fun. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But we know we're experiencing the kind of friendship that Jesus intends when we're confessing sins to one another and praying for one another. When we're encouraging one another to keep pursuing Christ. When we're exhorting one another not to compromise on the journey of Christ, when we're bearing one another's burdens, in short, when we are loving one another the way Jesus loved us, by teaching us, by sacrificing for us, and by walking with us. That's what makes a friendship distinctively centered on the gospel. Now, why are we talking so much about friendship in a sermon that's supposed to be about marriage? (laughs) Because everything we've said so far applies to every friendship that I can enter as a Christian, and that's true. But the reason we're talking about this in a marriage sermon series is because at the heart of marriage, according to the Bible, is Christian friendship. Marriage is a husband and wife together on the journey of following Jesus. That's what we just read from the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. Like here in, in the middle of the Bible's most extensive explanation of what a Christian marriage is supposed to be and to do, we find this description of, it's really kind of a John 13 call to friendship. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, as I have loved you, so love one another. And then we get to the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, and we see the Bible telling husbands and wives to love one another as Christ loved us. Cast in the language of the husband loving his wife that way, because that's the role that husbands play. We talked about that the first week. But all of us, men and women, are part of the church. This is all stuff that we do with and for one another. That's how the imagery and symbolism of the passage works. Love one another as Christ loved his church. It's John 13, applied to marriage. The together on the journey friendship that Jesus calls for us is to be at the heart of every Christian marriage. Husbands and wives are to love one another, not only in the same manner that Jesus loved us, that is like sacrificially, I give for you, I serve you, I have your best interest in mind, but also with the same end or purpose in mind that Jesus had. And that is the end or purpose of seeing our spouse become more like Christ. Seeing our spouse become more like Christ. At the very heart of a thriving marriage is being together on the journey that Christ our King has given us to reflect Him. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Keller uh, makes this great statement. It's a good analogy. He says, when Michelangelo was asked how he carved his magnificent sculpture, David, the reply is reputed to have been, I simply looked inside the block of marble and just took away the bits that weren't David. (laughs) And what a great image, right? Like, I can see my spouse, and they're probably kind of a rough block of marble, but I can... I can see forward. My wife likes to use the term believing forward, right? I can see what God is making you and it's a more beautiful reflection of him than the person you are now and so I want to cooperate with him as he's chipping away all the parts of your life that don't reflect Christ. 
and making you like Jesus. And so Keller says, each spouse should see the great thing that Jesus is doing in the life of their mate through the word, the gospel. Each spouse should then give him herself or herself as, uh, to be a vehicle for that work and envision the day that you will stand together before God, seeing the other person presented in spotless beauty and glory. That is the end to which Jesus served and sacrificed his disciples. That is the end to which he serves and sacrifices for his church. That is the end to which he calls us to serve and sacrifice for one another as Christian friends and definitely as Christian spouses. When we're doing that, (laughs) we're living out the Bible's vision for marriage. And so we, we give ourselves, uh, sacrificing without reservation for the work that God is doing in the spouse's life. And it's worth pointing out that, that that vision for what a marriage is at its heart is a great resolution to one of the tensions that's inherent in this whole discussion of friendship. Like, consider it this way. Here's, here's the tension I'm talking about. If, if where we started is right, I think it is, um, as C.S. Lewis and many others have argued, that, that you have to... You have to have a common journey to really form a solid friendship. But a friendship has to be about something other than just one another, right? It has to be about something else. But yet, it's true at the same time, and we've all seen this in marriages, and many of us have experienced it in marriages, that if I'm married to somebody, and yet something else is more important in the marriage than the spouse is, then the marriage is in trouble, right? It could be anything. It could be the kid's. When the kids are more important than the spouse and my spouse knows that my kids are more important to me than they are, the marriage is in trouble. It can be work. It can be my career. It can be my personal ambitions. It can be really anything. But if anything becomes more important in the marriage than the spouse, then the marriage is in trouble. So there's a tension. For us to be true, deep friends, we have to be on a journey together that's about more than us. But if anything is more important than us, then we're in trouble. What are we going to do here? (laughs) It strikes me that the biblical vision for marriage provides the best and perhaps the only lasting solution to this tension. Because you see, it supplies a specific journey. Two friends and even two spouses can have many common interests that they enjoy together. That's wonderful. But the heart of a Christian marriage is to be on the journey of following Christ, loving Christ more, and becoming like Him. And so when my spouse's discipleship, to use the words of the Bible, when the work that God is doing in the life of my spouse is the main thing at the center of this relationship, then her world and her life will always be number one for me. I won't trade it for anything less, not even our own kids or my job or career or other ambitions. And yet, at the same time, you see, the marriage isn't really about her or him. It's ultimately about what Christ is doing in us for his glory. And so God gives us the ability to form a deep and lasting partnership around a common journey that is about him, not us, and yet it brings us together intimately to stay focused on one another, not something external to our relationship. It's a beautiful vision for marriage. So what does that mean? (laughs) Practically, if this vision that the Bible tells us of friendship at the heart of marriage is, is true and right, how do we experience that? What I want to do for the next couple of minutes is just lay out a couple sort of high-level implications of this, and then I'll invite some friends up for a few minutes, uh, and we'll talk about how some of that's played out in our own lives. But first, let me just talk about three kind of high-level implications. First of all, 
it's a pretty strong implication that if this is true, then we need to be on the journey of Christ ourselves. If we want strong Christian friendships and definitely strong Christian marriages, we better be on the journey of Christ ourselves before we try to invite somebody else into that journey with us. I think if we want the Bible's advice on how to have the best marriage or, frankly, friendship with anyone, it starts with God and me. It doesn't start with the other person. Uh, In his typically poignant way, C.S. Lewis ends that quote by saying, those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Am I on the journey of pursuing Christ? That's the first and foremost thing. If you're here with us this morning or you're watching this morning and you're like, I know that I'm not a Christian, but I'm really interested in having a strong marriage or deep friendships with people, please hear me say, the Bible's counsel is to to help you recognize that Jesus loved you by living a righteous life in your place, that you could never live on your own, dying your sinner's death in your place so that you wouldn't have to die it and then rising again to a new eternal life that he now offers to share with you. That is the most beautiful connection, heart-to-heart connection you can experience. It's a connection with the heart of God himself. Get on that journey of following Christ as your Savior and your King. If you have any questions about how to do that, please let us know. We would be delighted. You can fill out a connection card if you're here in the building. Uh, Leave that in the offering boxes in the back if you're on our streaming site, you can click that connection card link and say, hey, I'm interested in finding out more about becoming a Christian. Or if you're here in the building, come talk to myself, Pastor Bruce, Pastor Jordan. We're all here. We would love to talk with you about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ as King. God has great joy, not only in human relationships for us, but in relationship with him for us. And it all starts with being on that journey with Jesus. But you know what? For those of us who already are on that journey, fellow Christians, It raises the question, is the glory of Christ my obsession right now? Or is Jesus for me the check of the heaven box? (laughs) I've got Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, but I'm not really pursuing getting to know Christ better and allowing him to transform me. If that's not the journey that I'm on, I'm going to have a hard time connecting with other Christians on that same journey. If the glory of Jesus isn't my obsession right now, What is? What is? Some of us don't necessarily maybe need another good marriage book to read. Or we may not need to work on our communication skills with our spouse, as good as those kinds of things are, as much as we may need to see Christ for what he is. The most beautiful and worthy ambition in life. I, I, I love the irony. I didn't ask, I knew Jordan was going to talk about the Harvest Book Table earlier. I didn't ask him what book he was going to highlight. I've got written in my notes, printed Thursday, to talk about Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That's the book he showed us earlier. We're on the same page. Hopefully that's a God thing. Uh, we're either both crazy together or we're both following the Holy Spirit together. I prefer to believe the, the second one, okay? Phenomenal book out there, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you've never read that book, stop by the Harvest Book Table. Get on the web, uh, the internet. Do yourself a favor. Grab a copy of that book and just read it. Let that book help you see God's beauty unfold from the pages of Scripture and become captivated with Him. The great news is if you want to be close to people, get obsessed with Jesus. And then you will find a deeper connection with other people who are likewise becoming obsessed with Jesus than you've ever found. 
The first implication is to be on the, the journey of Christ ourselves. The second implication then, whether with friends or especially as spouses, is to be on the journey of Christ together. To be on the journey of Christ together. This, this is just going back to that observation that, you know, it's possible for two people who happen to be Christians to form a friendship. That's good and fine, but it's not necessarily being on the journey of Christ together. Well, that's true in marriages too, right? It's possible for a Christian to marry another Christian and get involved in a marriage that's not ultimately about pursuing Christ. It's about other things. And maybe that's okay, maybe that's fine, but that's not the vision that the Bible has for us. Which means we need to talk with one another as spouses about where you're at with God. Making the time to connect with one another. What are you learning? What are you reading? What is God doing in you? How can I cooperate with the person that God is making you to be? The marriages that last in Christian homes that I've talked to almost always, the details always look different, but they've almost always prioritized that kind of time. There's some way we figured out how to talk to each other and connect with each other on that level. Many other marriages don't, and they struggle with intimacy because the pursuit of Christ just isn't a topic of conversation. We also need to talk not only about where we're at with God, but also where we're at in the marriage. How are we feeling about things? How close do we feel? How are we doing? How can we love each other better? Now, we need to do that constructively. Constructively. (laughs) This is where that communication skills thing really helps, right? There's good ways to bring up that conversation. There's really bad ways to bring it up. And if you're in a relationship where you're like, I don't think we can even have that conversation in a healthy way, then help is available. Actually, as soon as this series ends, a little bit later, in about mid to late May, we're going to be launching a series of small groups. They're five weeks long, based on a book called Vertical Marriage. We're going to tell you more about that in the next coming weeks as we're still finalizing details right now. But church, I want you to know that these are coming. It's a way to help connect people, even during this pandemic. Ideally, we'll do some of them uh, virtually. If you don't feel comfortable yet being in the same room with people, we'll do others live for those of us that are able to gather physically. The whole point is just to create safe, and fun relational environments where um, people who are uh, single and interested in marriage or people who are dating or people who are married can get together, build relationships, and talk about how do we do this kind of stuff well. So we're going to tell you much more about that in coming weeks. Please keep your um, eyes peeled to our website as as as, as soon as later this week, and we'll have more information on that. Learning how to communicate constructively with one another so that we can bring our relationship to this level of how are we doing and how are we following Christ. It's essential. By the way, just a quick special word to those of us who feel very much alone in that journey. Uh, Perhaps you're a follower of Jesus and you're married to somebody who isn't. Or maybe you are married to somebody else who's another Christian, but but you feel like you're far more interested in, in getting connected at this level than your spouse is. That's a hard place to be. The Bible does offer some counsel and guidance there. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells Christians who are married to spouses who don't follow Christ, it tells them to love and serve their spouse in the hope and prayer that God will transform both them and you. And that applies too to marriages where both spouses may be followers of Jesus, but we're just not connecting. We're not on the same level right now in our marriage. We can't control our spouse, but we can control whether we seek to be the friends to them that Christ has been to us. That's where it's important to have other friends who help support you and encourage you in that journey as you love, not criticize, and tear down your spouse. 
We need to be on Christ's journey ourselves. We need to be on Christ's journey together. Lastly, we need to stay on Christ's journey together. Oh, if only this were a one-time thing you could get right and just have it nailed. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? That's not how it works. We know this, right? That's not how it works. Just because we're together as good friends or together as husband and wife at one moment doesn't mean we'll be together six months from now. So many things constantly compete for first place in our affections and in our priorities. (laughs) Kids, we mentioned that earlier, boy, it is such a challenge to prioritize the spouse and the marriage when the kids are many and especially when they're young. They need so much from us, which is legitimate, and how to give all of that to them as well as everything else in life and prioritize one another. Amy and I constantly realized, you know, we'd finally figure out how to like, get some control over a particular season of life and get time together that we felt we needed, and then as soon as we got it nailed, it would change, right? The kids would grow into a new developmental stage and all the rules would change. It's just exhausting. You're constantly rewriting the rules of how are we going to do this? It's hard. And it's not just kids, it's extended family. Um, This business of leaving and cleaving that we talked about last week, that's a big deal. Leaving my family of origin and clinging to my wife, to my husband, as first priority. Well, family, extended family is still a priority, right? There's parents, there's siblings, there's uh, nieces and nephews and other family members. They remain important, but your spouse is the number one priority if you're married. And how to work that out, that gets tough sometimes especially when there's greater needs in the lives of extended family members. How are we going to deal with that? There's not a lot of easy answers there. As grandparents, we want to spend time with our grandkids. How do we make sure that we're not putting too much pressure on our kids so that they actually get time together as a couple? Let them leave and cleave, grandma and grandpa. (laughs) Work on the marriage. Maybe you're smart. Maybe you'll take the grandkids so mom and dad can have time alone. Win-win, right? Good. A lot of you guys do that. It's awesome. Extended family, job, major life crisis, Uh, work is demanding. A crisis comes, there's an illness, there's an injury, there's some other catastrophe, the loss of a job, whatever. There's seasons where so many things press in on us and demand every ounce of energy it feels like we have between the time the light turns on and the time the light turns off at night. It can be very difficult to stay on Christ's journey together. There aren't easy answers for this. It's hard. All I can say is it's worth it. It's worth it. Prioritize that. Fight for intimacy and staying together on the journey of Christ. We need to be on Christ's journey alone. We need to be on Christ's journey together. We need to stay on Christ's journey together. That's the heart of friendship. That's what God wants us to experience to make a marriage tick. And I want to actually invite my wife and my friends, Dan and Julie, up here, and we're going to talk for a few minutes about some of how we've all experienced this within our own marriages. As I've said before, none of us consider ourselves like experts. We're just here to talk about how this looks in reality. So I appreciate you guys taking a few minutes to come up and chat with me about the reality of how this has worked out in our lives. So let me just say right away, so we've been um, friends, we've known each other for 15 years, and uh, I think become increasingly good friends over that time, spent a lot of time together. I'm glad you nodded, thank you. I was waiting for you to go, no, which just proves that we're friends. No, 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 she has the microphone for a reason. You'll get it in due time. We're so glad you're up here. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> 
So as we've gotten to know each other really well, um, gotten to know each other's marriages and been comfortable with each other, one of the things we've realized is that our backgrounds are almost night and day different. They're so different. And yet, we've also seen some commonalities that revolve around this issue of friendship within our marriages that have helped marriage stay strong. You guys are coming up on how many years this year? 40. 40 years of marriage. 40 years. Uh, we're coming up on... Yes, it is on. Um, you got to just shout into it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are coming up on 27. And so there have been things throughout all of these, both of these marriages that, that we've been able to connect on. I wanted to start um, with you guys, Dan and Julie. So just for the sake of time, you've let me kind of frame the issue. And then I want to ask you guys to just reflect on it. Um, when you guys started in your marriage, you've said that there was... Um, several things that maybe statistically would have been like against you, right? So right. getting married very young, for example, um, you were late Two. teens. <laughs> teenagers, yep. Yeah, yeah, late teenagers um, when you first got married. Um, coming out of, uh, seeking to get out of a bad home situation, particularly in your mm -hmm. case, Julie. Very, very dysfunctional, dysfunctional home situation. And you guys also said when we were reflecting on this a couple nights ago that you looked around, you're both Christians at the time, but you had no really good models to follow. <laughs> like you didn't personally know of strong marriages where you're like, hey, we want to be like them. So that's how you started out. Now, statistically, people would say like, okay, that's a lot stacked against you. Here we are 40 years later. You still like each other most of the time. Yeah. You're still married. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of reflect on that. What helped make your marriage strong in those early years as you reflect back on it now? Julie, why don't you start? Well, I think, um, you know, I had a mom who was um, a paranoid schizophrenic and I had a father that was an alcoholic, and I had been abused in every possible way. And, um, but I was a believer, and I knew without a shadow of doubt that Dana was brought into my life by God. And so um, that is what, even though we had everything stacked against us and a lot of baggage and everything like that, um, the one God, God was with us. The one detail, how did you know that very specifically? What did he do? Well, I had been praying about it for several years. I had been in another relationship, and I was begging him to become a Christian, and he wasn't <laughs> going in that direction. And then Dana, uh, when I met him, I mean, the first date that we had, he asked if I would pray with him at the end of the date, and I was just amazed. I mean, it was like, this is what I'd always wanted. So that's what um, convinced me. You thought you were just praying. You were getting a spouse. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's, what's the question? As you look back on that, that early time, like what? Wait, you got notes? Where's mine? <laughs> As I look back on it. Um, okay, well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, it was not, uh, it was, nothing about it was normal. Um, I, you know, she mentioned the baggage. Um, yeah, we got into the, got into the marriage and, uh, you know, I, I didn't think cause I was a kid, I had a ton of baggage. Um, I had just become a believer. There were some things that, yeah, it changed right away, but you know, some things didn't. Mm -hmm. And, and God was making it really clear to me that, um, you can't keep going down this path. And uh, I didn't, didn't have that revelation at all first night or anything like that, but um, there was a point where 
God just, I, I don't know if it was a voice or just, I knew right then, he brought her into my life to make me um, the man that he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talked about um, coming, you can keep it for a okay. second. <laughs> you talked about coming together in the early days of your marriage without any examples, but with a oh, really yeah. clear focus. You want to yeah. kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, because nobody led me to Christ. Yeah. Um, it was a series of events and getting out the Bible and reading it. That's what brought me to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, I had no discipleship. Mm-hmm. I had nobody around me guiding me. Uh, I lived with my dad. It was just me and my dad. And um, we did not have a relationship to speak of at all. Uh, so I didn't even think about telling him that I'd become a Christian. Mm-hmm. Just, just didn't have that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just... Um, I, I don't know, I just started to try to go whatever direction I thought he was telling me to go. And, but I knew I needed help. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when we got together, my, my attitude was, you know, since I had no examples around me, it was just, you know, it, I felt like a pioneer. You know, it's, we're starting over because mm-hmm. we both have these dysfunctional families and we're, we've got us, she and me and God. Mm. And with the three of us, we'll get through anything. Because mm. I, I knew he could get us through anything. Mm-hmm. So you were together on a journey <laughs> oh, yeah. from the get-go yeah. without a ton of mentoring or guidance. Yeah. But that connection happened early on. Yeah. And um, so then years go by and everything's wonderful and peachy, right? <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, I did mention the bags yes, that I had. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Um, and more to come. I mean, like in everybody's case, right? There's always unanticipated stuff you, you never know is coming. Uh, so again, you guys dealt with some things that, that you're, um, free, uh, you've been free to talk about. Um, fi- I didn't realize this. Five miscarriages before the, the birth of your now eldest son, Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. So five miscarriages, um, a lot of heartache there. You've got two adult children now, but you actually had three children born. The second one, Courtney, um, remind me, was born severely deformed. Yes, um, she had lysencephaly and the center of her brain was missing. Okay. So yeah. she was blind, deaf, had to be fed with a tube. Yeah, and, w- and we were told she was going to die right away, but of course she lived almost two years. So. Two years, okay. <laughs> 24 <laughs> hour around the clock care. You yes. got a young one. <laughs> yes. And then you got this 24 hour crisis of a child who could die at any time, but lives for two years. Major stress to say the least. Um, and then even later, some initially undiagnosed bipolar stuff going on in your home and some suicidal thoughts you guys had to yeah. deal with. Um, Our son had bipolar we didn't know for 30 years. Yeah. Um, has now been treated and is doing wonderful, but there was many suicide attempts and a lot of heartache and us trying to figure out how to deal with this. And we were medicating in the wrong way and we didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So again, (laughs) I don't have to be like a clinical psychologist to say like any one of those things on a marriage, you'd say like, wow, this is a lot. (laughs) You guys need extra support or whatever. You've had like a constant string of them. And if we're only thinking about statistics, not choices in God, you know, we'd say like that's more likely to drive a couple apart than together. But it didn't drive you guys apart. Um, can you reflect on some of those experiences? What do you think 
kind of kept you in it um, together? How did you thrive um, relationally during that time? Um, well, I think, first of all, um, if anybody's watched Seinfeld, we decided to do the opposite of everything that our parents um, <laughs> ever taught us, so, and that helped a lot. You know, any way that they had ever reacted, we did the George thing and did the opposite. So, um, so you know, we just had to include God on everything, and we were never on the same page. Jana, you know, when we had Courtney, um, he was the one that was reminding me this is, he's in charge and all those kind of things when I had lost my faith. Hmm. And then when we found out that our daughter had come out as gay later on, uh, our third daughter, our second daughter, um, third child, child, um, I was having to remind him God's in control, (laughs) you know. So anyway, we've been back and forth, and then both of us, neither one of us were ever mad at our son at the same time, so he didn't die. Um, so, you know, it was just, yeah, um, we had to include God in it, and because we were there as a team, it helped a lot. Yeah, so there's a lot of talking each other off the ledge there in crisis moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, God wants me to be like Christ. He wants her to be like Christ. And these are the tools, unfortunately, that he chose to use. Mm-hmm. There's some people who get it way too easy. <laughs> Just saying. But um, God is there. And, and I remember with Courtney and therefore through the other stuff. You know, you could come up with all these reasons. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? It could be this, could be this. I just remember God so clearly speaking to my heart and saying, yeah, could be any of that. But do you trust me? And so, yeah, it, it hasn't been smooth sailing. Even when things have been smooth, it hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing because as I love how you started the, the whole series saying, yeah, we've got two sinners getting involved in this project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but God is foremost. And, and um, he, has, he has always spoken to me when, when I'm steering off course. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we're going through a rough time, that's, that's one of my reminders, you know? And, and um, yeah, it's just, I, I wish it was something like, yeah, you just A, B, C, D, mm-hmm. but there isn't. It's just that I, I have to fully trust God. He's got our back. He's going to get us through this. And, and remember that m- my position is to love her with everything I got. You know, it just it, like I told you guys the other night, it's just the two rules, right? Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. When you think about the practical side of that, I mean, we can talk ethereally all we want, but you did talk about Julie wanted to talk at night <laughs> on the pillow. She's ready to talk, but you fall asleep. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that was a dynamic that needed to happen. And so eventually you came to another habit and pattern. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, well, because if I lay down, I'm going down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was working hard uh, in yeah. my defense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but that, that, that wasn't the time 
to have a deep discussion because I can fall asleep through anything. Hmm. Um, so we just created these moments, these times, where it's like, okay, everything shuts down. Let's go upstairs, uh, pour a glass of wine or pour some coffee. It always involves treats. And, and we just sit and talk. Hmm. And it really, it, it's not like we're talking for hours because, yeah, stuff's got to be done, especially when you've got kids, when you're trying to get a business running like what I had. It, there are things that take up your time, mm-hmm. but you've got to just put the brakes on it mm-hmm. and pull back and say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Julie, how have those experiences gone from your perspective? I mean, starting to try to connect and finding, okay, night right before bed's not a good time. Um, but what have you guys done that has helped you feel like you can really connect and stay together in, in this over time? Yeah, I, those um, little date nights, the little date breaks that we do during the day, mm-hmm. um, they're... Yeah, they're everything to us. I think we both really appreciate them, and we've made time for them throughout our marriage and um, have been very beneficial. So, mm-hmm. Has the marriage always stayed together really tight through all those hard times, or has it struggled at times? Well, like every marriage, you have your ups and downs, yeah. and yeah, we've definitely, um, I mean, we didn't even mention the fact that I'd had a lot of health issues. I've had cancer scares. Or, well, I've had cancer twice. I've had, um, you know, chicken pox on the lungs. I mean, who gets that as an adult, you know? I mean, it's just been a lot of really weird things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, the year that we had Courtney, we made $600. That's the whole year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, she was financially devastating to us. Um, but just um, had to keep trusting God. I mean, that's pretty much what... This whole journey has been is um, us together and trusting God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things that really um, stood out during that time and has been true throughout any of the other hard stuff is, is I learned early on there's, there's really nobody that I can depend on. I just know it's God and my wife mm-hmm. and, and that's it. But you know what? That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's been good. To, to, to do that. But the, the rough stuff, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, uh, we talked about there, we had a really hard financial time at one point, and a lot of that was on me. A lot of it was on me. And that became a really rough spot um, in our marriage. Um, but so, so financial decisions you were making that caused yeah, your stress, right? Okay, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 We were in debt up the hawk. Yeah. And, um, and I was doing everything I could to try to try to make ends meet, but it just yeah. So anyhow, um, we got we got through it. Yeah. How do you because stay, how do you stay together? Because when I saw this ship is going off course, mm-hmm. we're bailing water, and I knew the most important thing is God brought her to me, mm-hmm. and so I got to do whatever it is to make this relationship right. And that meant a lot of changes for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of it was just simply opening up. You know, there were things that, a lot of it was because I didn't tell her stuff because I didn't want her freaking out. You know? That always works so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it works, right? In the comics. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, and, and it was just, it was just stupid. Mm-hmm. It was just absolutely stupid. Mm-hmm. But I did what I had to 
uh, to come, in a sense, come back. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like I, I was telling you when, when we first got married, I was heading off, well, not got married, but we were engaged. I was heading off to school in Southern California, and God just impressed upon me, if you go, you're not coming back, and we're not getting married, and this is who I brought before you. So I turned around and came back and said, hey, let's just get married and go. And, uh, you know, another mature thing. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, stuff happened. So I, I had to correct my course and come back. Mm-hmm. And so years later, as we're married, I had to correct my course and mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. because she was brought to me by God. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's a sinner. I'm a sinner. So, therefore, it's going to get messy at times. Yeah. But yeah. as long as he is foremost then he'll, he'll work things out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And you kind of answered my last question. I want to just throw one on the table and have all of us answer it. And that is just kind of like, okay, I'm hearing this theme with you guys of like from the beginning, whatever liabilities we had, you know, we were committed to do this together with God. And it doesn't sound like that's changed. It's been tested, but like it hasn't changed for 40 years. That's being together on this journey. And that's a theme I've seen in your guys' relationship over and over again, good times and bad. Um, so as you look back on almost now 40 years of Christian friendship within marriage, yeah, just open season, like what's, what's the impact? I think you just kind of talked about it, and that constant coming back and how it's changed you. Um, and I'll ask all of us to just kind of briefly respond to that. Yeah, 40 years of being Well, yeah, I mean, Dana and I could not be any more opposite. Politically, every way, ex- <laughs> you know, he's an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Um, I'm right. <laughs> He's no, arrogant, you're, you're humble. <laughs> um, I'm type A perfectionist. Um, he's type Z. Um, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> everyone has hard times in their life. And there's not a single person out there that does not. Um, but you have to focus on why we were created. Um, and pursue that relationship with God. And um, if you're not married, then find a best friend that helps you pursue him. Um, If you haven't made that decision on who you're going to marry, make sure it's a person that is going to bring you closer to him. Um, Dana has kept me on track, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, It's been painful at times, but... (laughs) But it's also been a really fun journey. If you look at my Facebook posts, you know it's been hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, So anyway. Yeah. So we've been at it um, about 30 years of friendship, almost 27 years of marriage. just looking back at that experience, so many ups and downs, goods and bads, hard things. I mean, we just kind of got into it a little bit yesterday and kind of hurt each other's feelings a little bit. I mean, there's these times where it's like, ah, but overall, what is well? You did good in mentioning my you know, believing forward. Hmm. Um, I love Tim Keller's um, picture in the book about being on a hike together, and as you're turning the corner, and you're get, things are getting steep, and the fog descends, and now you can't see. Um, so I'm having to look forward into what God is doing in you, and you have to do the same in me. Um, I think for me personally, I get stuck in my own head in the self-confidence, self-doubt, believing lies, and you're the one that says, 
really that what you're telling yourself? That's not true. That's not how Christ sees you. It's not how I see you. This is what's going on. Tell yourself truth. Um, so I love the quote that says something like, a friend is someone who um, sings a song back to you when you can't remember the words. Mm-hmm. And a Christian friend will then sing the song that Christ sings about you when you're telling yourself lies or singing another song that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I think I would say just, yeah, looking back at our friendship over the years, and particularly married, <coughs> is um, very similar to what you said, Dana. I just, I immediately think of personal change, how much I've changed because of people in my life, good Christian friends, brothers in Christ, um, but nobody's been with me more than you have. And so how much, how much more, and for me particularly, it relates to um, things like the appreciation of aesthetics and beauty, um, connecting with people at an emotional level and understanding a different side of people than I normally see. So when I think about all those things, I think about the way I respond to the world around me and people in it is different because I've been married to you for almost 27 years, and it's different better. Like, I would, I'm, a, I'm a different and better person because of the influence. Sometimes it stretches me, sometimes it frustrates me because I don't want to be stretched, but that's on me, right? The impact is God has used you to make me more of what he is trying to make me. Um, and I wouldn't be the same, you know, without it. Uh, so, guys, thank you for just taking a few minutes. Um, lots of ups and downs for all of us, like there is for everybody, but um, just this idea of coming together on the journey and how God can use that for us. I, I'd like to just pray for um, not only the four of us, but for all of us, uh, for our marriages, for our friendships. Would you join me, God, as our, our worship team comes back up here? God, we, we just are delighted that you, Jesus, above all, have said you've up till now called me teacher, but now I call you friends. Um, You have been a friend to us in the deepest sense of the world. Though you are God, you came to be with us, to walk with us, to share your heart with us and to change our identity and call us onto a journey of purpose, to call us into your journey to walk it with you as you make the Father's name great. And so, Jesus, we're grateful for what you've done for us and grateful at how you've created us to experience that in a smaller form with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and as spouses. I pray for the friendships in this church, for married people and single people to be deep and rich, and though they are uh, often um, peppered with lots of fun things that are just enjoyable and that's a wonderful gift, I pray that they would be deep and rich in helping one another walk the walk of discipleship and faith. Show us as a church what it means to disciple one another better as friends on the journey. And I pray, God, lastly for the marriages in our church and in our congregation, uh, even in our community, many of which are under so much just stress and difficulty because life is hard right now for so many. But God, we pray that there would be a deep friendship in you that draws husbands and wives together because we're ultimately committed to you and what you're doing in us. So God, as you strengthen friendships and as you strengthen marriages, we pray that you would glorify yourself. In Christ's name, we ask it for your glory. Amen. Would you stand with us, please, as we close our service? There is a beautiful, beautiful modern hymn.